always forget stuff like that. And um, so what I did in this was try to show whatever you think is the potential dating of the book, there are a myriad of scholars who say otherwise. Uh, One of my frustrations over the decades of studying this book is how many people will make a proclamation that this is definitely the date and therefore because of the date, uh, this is what it has to be when you can find somebody else who goes, no, that's not it at all. In fact, um, you'll notice under number two, of attempting to date the book says confusion has always existed. You'll notice that early Christians there give four different potential dates uh, of when the book was written. Uh, So dating the book has never been easy. It's always been a problem trying to figure out uh, when revelation it was, was written. Uh, And so I note a lot of the, the people who come along and say, well, here's, here's what it is. If you go to the next page on page four and look at letter D. There are some honest scholars, thankfully. Letter D says, all in all, the date must remain uncertain. Good arguments can be made for an origin under either Nero or Domitian. And that is from... Grant Osborne, the Baker exegetical commentary uh, on the New Testament. That is a a, a mainstream evangelical commentator, and he is going to be a futurist, which we'll talk about in a minute. But even he says, you can't date the book. You can't go to external evidences and say, here's the exact date of, of when we know it is written. Under letter D as well, G.K. Beale says, there is no single arguments that point uh, clearly to the early date or late date. And that's New International Greek Testament commentary. G.K. Beale has become um, the, uh, what word am I looking for? My brain is cloudy. The revelation authority since 1997 he wrote a a stunning book his his commentary is awesome it's that thick it's full of greek it's really hard it's really thick and i've gone through it and it's really good and everybody references it as the authoritative work and he even says don't sit there and start the beginning and go we can point absolutely to it was definitely Domitian or definitely Nero, definitely early date, definitely uh, uh, late date. So I, I think that's important because one of the things that when we talk about the book of Revelation is so many people, I think, try to jam uh, square pegs into round holes because they are starting in their mind with a particular interpretation. Here's what it has to mean. And so if it means this, then I'm going to make this have to work, even though it doesn't work out very well. Uh, And so uh, all of this information, I'm not going to go through it all, but I wanted to highlight those for you. Uh, And uh, I believe under number seven, at the very end of page four, I make this point. We should interpret this book like we do all of the other New Testament books. That is... Let the internal evidence decide when it was written. Does that make sense? I mean, one of the reasons we know that Second Timothy is a late book of Paul 
It's not because we have somebody who sat around saying, well, that was written in 62 AD. That's not how we know that. We know that because inside of it, he says, I'm about to die. This is the end. And we go, okay, well, that obviously cannot be before 1 Corinthians. It must be later on. Do the same thing with this book. We're going to let the text uh, speak for itself. All right. Well, well I'll answer, answer any questions about that in just a minute. Back to number one. <clears throat> Sorry about my voice. I preached morning and night last week in, in Louisville uh, every day. So uh, a little, little wiped. <laughs> uh, all right. Number one. Write down four main interpretive views of the book of Revelation. Anybody have a chance to do that, Julie? I have idealist, Yeah, preterist, yep. Good. So if you pick up writers and if they are fair to an introduction, there are usually four particular points of view uh, to the book of Revelation. Um, first one you said was idealist. By the way, did anybody find these? Idealist, preterist, historist, futurist. We'll talk about those. So, uh, an idealist doesn't think that these prophecies are pointing to anything specific, but simply can be generically applied to all generations. And so there's value to that because one of the reasons why this view came along, it's a later view, was an attempt to try to make the book of Revelation relevant. It's okay, well, uh, how do we make it relevant for all generations? We'll say that it's not pointing to anything in particular, but the general idea of good versus evil, um, the problems of nations, uh, how God's going to conquer evil and just cycle through it in that way. Are there problems with that point of view, do you think? Or does that sound like a good way to go? You're nodding problems. Okay, why? Why do you think that's a problem? Well, I think you have to read the book of Revelation yeah. to figure out that there's some things that were... One thing John said, they're shortly coming. Okay, okay. All right, so an idealist point of view has some problems with, like, the datings that are found in the book. One of the things that comes up in the book is these things must shortly happen, must soon take place, uh, things like that. And an, an idealistic point of view um, kind of strips away the value to the first century audience. You know, it just kind of becomes this generic, cosmic, God wins. And you've probably heard people say that. Uh, who cares what the details about the book of Revelation? So just God wins in the end. Well, that's an idealist point of view, is we don't really need to worry about the details at the end God wins. Which, to me, the argument would be, well, then why 22 chapters of this? You know, just open the book and go, God wins. You know, uh, to me, it's insufficient uh, in its explanation. Okay. <clears throat> Preterist point of view it says everything in the book was fulfilled by 70 AD. So it goes to one side and says everything you can find in the book, everything that you're going to read about, all fulfilled by 70 AD. All right. Any problems that you can perceive with that? Well, 
Yeah, there's some things like in Revelation 20 where it's, here's the, the books are opened and the, the sea gives up the dead and everybody's judged and the devil's thrown into the lake of fire and you go, by 70 AD? Uh, okay. Uh, so its value is that it's trying to make it apply to the first century but one of the negatives is that it seems to kind of go too far and try to make everything apply to the first century. You certainly see Rome in here, right? And so that would move that away from there. And uh, as Frank brought out, almost everybody agrees, except for the preterist, that Revelation 20 is the end of time. So how would you make that work? So that becomes a problem. The other side of the pendulum, futurist. The futurist says none of it's been fulfilled yet. Basically from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22, none of it has happened. And the only thing that's in the present were the seven churches of Asia, chapter 2, chapter 3. Problems with that. Okay, we've got some time markers again that he says these things must shortly, soon take place, and that wouldn't be very soon. We'll talk about that uh, in just a minute. Uh, but it also loses relevance to the first century now. Why write a book to the seven churches in Asia about things that were going to happen over 2,000 years later? How does that help them? So futurist has issues. Uh, and then the final one that... Um, is I think this one's fading away finally, the historist. Uh, and that point of view is that the book of Revelation is essentially a roadmap to all of human history until the coming of Christ. Have you ever heard of the view that the book of Revelation has the Roman Catholic Church in it? As the Antichrist and all that? That's the historist's point of view. So what it's doing is saying, so from the first century, what the book of Revelation does is tell you things that happened in the 5th century and in the 8th century and in the 10th century and the 15th century. And any problems with that? Any particular things that would be troubling with that point of view? Or does that one work? Should we go with that one? All right, why not? What's the problem with it? Why not have a historist point of view? Well, we'll just, you know, Revelation 19 is clearly talking about China. We'll, we'll run with that. Historist point of view. World Trade Center is probably chapter 18. We can go with that. That's yeah, that's one of the big problems is... If you have a historist point of view, well, then as time goes on, you keep changing what those things are talking about, right? If you were standing in the 8th century, you wouldn't have things from the 9th century to the 21st century. You would only have this much. And now you stand here. Now you got all of this. And what if another thousand years goes by? Well, now you're, you keep changing it all along the way. So that's a big problem. But it seems like though, that's what people want to do. They want to say, well, this... We had an earthquake over here, so that, that, this is it. This is it. Yeah, that happens a lot. It's going to happen to us. Yeah. yeah, have you heard people do this? Oh, tons of books do this. The news does this. Preachers get on TV and do this. This, this is it. This is the finally the big one. Of course, they keep changing what it is. 
You know, when the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union fell, everybody's running to the book of Revelation. See, look, that's Revelation 17 and 18. Well, now nobody does that, but it sounded really good in 1992. But in 2022, everybody goes, y'all, no, it must be something else. But none of God's other prophecies, if you will, were that obscure. Right. They were, they were specifically, you could, you know, people knew what it was dealing with in those right. regards. So he's, why would he now write a right. book that was just, you know, this could happen sometime, right. and you have to figure out what you want to apply it to. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, you don't see other prophecies kind of meandering, wondering, kind of, you know, moving target like, like that as, as well. Yeah. Uh, there, I asked a question about Daniel's scroll. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. We should get there today, though, but not yet. So you'll notice you just said there are four points of view, and I just shot a hole in all of them, right? <laughs> You're used to that with me by now, right? It's like, yeah, wait a minute. What I'm going to do is not jam square pegs and round holes because that's what happens is you start with this particular vantage point. It must all be future. So therefore, it's got helicopters and rockets and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Or it must all be before 70 AD. So then you start jamming the books being opened and the great white throne scene is somehow the fall of Jerusalem. And you just jam that in there or historist point of view well uh that means the roman catholic church was the great antichrist that was supposed to rise up out of the sea and destroy everybody and ruin people's faith uh or um idealist that eh, doesn't point to anything it's just you know in the end god's going to win uh, let the book speak for itself have an open mind and allow the images to make the most sense, especially to someone who's alive in the first century. What would they have heard? What would that have meant to them? And take that approach. And sometimes I'll be a preterist, and sometimes I'm going to be a futurist, and sometimes I'm going to be an idealist. And I think the book itself will tell you when to do that. It'll give you those clues as to what it's talking about. Is is this talking a little bit more generically about things? Or is this talking about something specific? Is it talking about something that's about to happen? Is it talking about something down the road? I think when you let the book do the work itself, um, it'll make an awful lot more sense. And you'll feel comfortable with it because you're not going to sit there and scratch your head and go, well, how are has the the... the devil being cast into the lake of fire the the destruction of Jerusalem or uh, how is uh, the locusts supposed to be helicopters seriously there are books that say that seriously got one right here Uh, so let the books speak for itself would the people if it was an early date would they Maybe, but one of the things that's going to help us get around this is um, you will notice, look, if you look in your Bibles, Revelation 1, verse 3. Revelation 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this what? So one of the things that people really mess up is they go, well, because what I'm reading wasn't happening yet, Therefore, it must be a late date. It's a prophecy. It's talking about things to come. 
There are a lot of things that are written here that are in the future. So, because one of the things that I was, I tried to listen to as much as I could over this last week as well. Uh, I heard one one guy, evangelical guy, and he goes, you know, it's, in, in talking about uh, apostasy and falling away, well, how could that already be happening by the mid '60s A.D.? This has to be in has to be at the end of the first century in the '90s. It's a prophecy. He's talking about stuff that's going to happen. It doesn't have to be in the past. It can still be pointing out. We don't want to be troubled by uh, a date. To me, hammering down a date causes more confusion than it solves uh, because it's talking about things that are about to happen anyway. So uh, to me, don't get stuck on that. Uh, But man, if you pick up a Revelation commentary, like the front matter is all about what date it is. It's just, you know, pages and pages and pages. And, And to me, it's getting lost in the weeds. It's not it's not ultimately helpful. One other thing, then I'll bring in your questions, uh, and then we'll start the first three verses. Uh, number two, three views of this Revelation 20 millennial reign of Christ. You heard these terms? It can be fancy terms. It has the word millennial in it. They all have a uh, prefix to millennial. Yeah. Right, so there's premillennialism, postmillennialism, and then a millennialism or a millennialism. So, um, what's really interesting about these points of view about Revelation 20 is, depending upon where you are in history, one was stronger than another. So, postmillennialism means that Jesus is going to return uh, after the thousand-year reign. And the belief is the world is going to get better and better and better until finally he comes. So this was a really popular view in the 1800s. And then when World War I happened, that view went to the sideline. <laughs> it's kind of interesting how world history causes people to change their points of view. So the belief is going to get better and better and better. And things are getting great. You know, you get to the roaring 20s. And, oh, it's going to be great. Then World War One and World War II happen. And people go, well, obviously it's not going to get better before Christ comes. It's only getting worse. So when that happened, guess what view rose up? Premillennialism. Premillennialism, he's going to return before the thousand years. And things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until he comes. Great tribulation, all of that. Well, why did that come up? Well, because things were really bad in the 1900s. Yeah, World War One, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War. Soviet Union, Cold War, all that kind of stuff. So premillennialism goes to the forefront. Um, And did you all hear about, remember hearing about the Left Behind books? Really popular in the late 90s and early 2000s. Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye wrote a series of about 18 novels called Left Behind. And they took the world by storm. They were just novels based upon a premillennial point of view. In fact, I have this book by them. You notice it kind of looks like those other ones. It's called Revelation Unburied. It's actually Tim LaHaye's commentary. So that's why I have it as a reference point that we will use from time to time of what they say uh, these things are pointing to. Uh, but that became a very predominant view was because of things getting really, really bad. Uh, and then amillennialism even though that's kind of a misnomer because in Greek, if you put an A in front of something, that means not. 
so it's no millennial or not a millennium, but that's not accurate. Its point of view is that the thousand years are not an actual counting of a thousand years, but actually symbolic like the rest of the book with all of its numbers. So that's the amillennial point of view. So we'll get to talk about those when you come along. But when you are prepping for Revelation, you're going to notice futurist, historist, idealist, preterist, premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. And if you, um, if you grab commentaries, they'll usually pigeonhole them into those quadrants. One of those four points of view with one of those three millennial points of view. Uh, and so we'll get to explore all that uh, as we go as to why, why we'll follow uh, one particular one or another. Okay, so questions about the intro material before we uh, get into these first three verses. Yeah. The, the second part of the one, just, the, despite the differences, are there any points of agreement? Yeah, are there? Are there any points of agreement to these points of view? The idealist, historist, futurist, um, and preterist. From what you said, no. Not really, huh? It's a book of prophecy. Yeah, really, kind of about, about that. There's not a lot of agreement. Some preterist will see Revelation 20 as the end, but about the only agreement is Revelation 2 and 3. And you hit chapter 4 and it goes... <laughs> In fact, so how many sermons have you heard on Revelation 2 and 3 and not 4 through 22? That, that's why. <laughs> that's why, Julie. I was going to say they all agree that God wins. Yeah, and they do all agree that God wins. Okay, that's fair. Yep. So God wins, Revelation 2 and 3, uh, and that, that's what we've got. So, so uh, that's it. Any other questions in the, in the intro? That's why I put out uh, for the last couple of weeks, it would be of good value to you to read this survey of these two pages because uh, I don't want to waste your time reading what you hopefully have already read but this kind of lays out um, I have tried my hardest to find somebody to in an authoritative way lay out, okay, here's how we can prove the dating of the book I have read so many books and that's why I showed you letter D there uh, you can't at this point, you just can't. So let the book speak for itself. I yeah. wish you were John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, he could date it. He could tell you when it was, right? <laughs> All right. First, first three verses. You have your Bibles, Revelation 1 through 3. These, um, go ahead. Which John? Which John? Who cares? John the Apostle, right? Got to be. No, I'm being serious. John the Apostle. It is John the Apostle. Yeah, John the Apostle is, is the our guy. I believe those are... Here's Okay, here's what happens. So, because in... Second John and Third John, you get the title of the elder so people go okay well maybe there's a John the elder that's different from John the apostle and I go it's John the apostle he's calling himself an elder for a reason but yes it is amazing that you can pick up books who will have arguments over which John is this and of course at the end of the day but 
one of the ways that I think we can know this is John the Apostle is because the parallels to the Gospel of John are staggering. Uh, the parallels to the Gospel of John are staggering. Uh, in fact, people have noted that you can kind of read the Gospel of John and go straight into the book of Revelation and it feel pretty seamless. Uh, so I think it's pretty much without much debate that it's John the Apostle. Uh, but there are a few out there who want to go. It's some random John that we don't know. And I'm like, really? Do you, if the book's hard enough, do you really want to go make it harder? It's, it's good enough as it is. All right. First three verses. First sentence. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That If we don't understand... These first three verses, we are doomed for this book. These first three verses set the table about so much of what we're going to study. And so if we don't get our hands around what this is saying, going to be a lot of problems. So calls it a revelation. So what is that telling us if you call something a revelation? Let's just get real basic. What's happening here? Uncovering. A what? An uncovering. Okay. So... Is this book a concealing to make things hard? It's a revealing. How many times have you heard people say, well, the book of Revelation, you know, is put it into these codes to try to keep it away from people who, you know, they would would keep it hidden. And so the average reader wouldn't know. And, you know, the Christians could kind of decode it and all of that. First word. It's an explanation. It's a revealing. It's an unveiling. It's now taking something that was covered and uncovering it. Taking something that was unknown and now making it known. The book is not making things harder. It's explaining something easier. And it's funny how many times... People take the book of Revelation and go, oh, yeah, you know, it's so complex and hard and all that. Well, John starts off by saying, I'm revealing something to you. Something that was hidden before is now being exposed. That's the idea of an exposing and unveiling. You're, you're, You're taking the cover off of something and saying, here it is. Which, by the way, the Greek word for that is apocalypse. So we often think of apocalypse and what do we think of? You know, like napalm and explosions and, right? Apocalypse just means revealing. That's all that word means. So we've like made this whole thing out of apocalypse. And all it means is unveiling. And that, I think so far people look at Revelation as a separate book from the rest of the Bible. When it isn't, I'm really true. trying to get that because I don't want prophetic. Yes. 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 I agree with you. Good. Good. Let's talk about that for a minute. That the book of Revelation, as Yvette is bringing out, is has to be tied to the rest of scripture. You know, it's not this, you know, launched book out here in the stratosphere that has zero connection to everything else that was ever written. In fact, I would ask the question this way. If the book, as it says it is, 
is a revealing, an unveiling. What is it revealing? What's it unveiling? So here's my question then. So what was hidden that now has to be exposed? That's the idea. Because that's what that means. Something has been hidden, now has has an exposure. You taking a shot at this or not? No, and I'm thankful that I'm using that you guys know that I'm new to this, so I don't feel bad saying it. But what was hidden that now has There is something in scriptures that the scriptures themselves say are concealed. Do you know where it says that? Because that's important to this book because this book comes along and says concealed no more, now revealed. You know where? Daniel. Go over to Daniel chapter 12. Notice how the book of Daniel ends. And I might say, this might be the other thing that maybe all the points of view agree upon is the Daniel connection. (laughs) Go figure that. Go figure that. There's like, you know, five points of agreement out of a million. Uh, So Daniel's been seeing a number of prophecies that go all the way back to chapter two about nations and how the kingdom's going to destroy them and the problems that are going to happen with that. And you'll notice in chapter 12 of Daniel in verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And then notice in chapter 12, verse 9. And notice here, actually bring it backward in verse 8. Or well, Let me just read all of it. It's, it's, what, what are we in a hurry for? We're going to be in Revelation, right? Let's just, let's just, let's just get it right the first time, right? All right, so chapter 12, verse 4. Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood, one on the banks of the stream and one on the uh, not on the bank of the stream. And someone in the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream said, how long shall it be until the end of these wonders? By the way, I'll give you a little bit of clue. In Revelation 10, you see this guy again doing this. He takes the stand there and does this. It's, he's, he comes up again. Verse 7, And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be a time, times, and half a time. 
that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Now look at what Daniel has in verse 8. I heard, but I didn't understand. And then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Notice confusion. I don't understand the vision. I don't understand what you're saying. I don't understand what you're telling me about these events as they're going to unfold. Verse nine, he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. The book of Daniel ends with, I know that you don't fully understand this thing, but later, the time of the end, or can I use Hebrews 1, the latter days, messianic times, there's going to be an unveiling, an unveiling, a revealing is going to happen. And the first words of Revelation are the uncovering, the revealing. Here's the exposure. Things that were sealed and hidden now being unfolded. Now, if you've read the book of Revelation, do you remember in chapter 5? There is something that is sealed that nobody can open. There's a scroll sealed and only Jesus can open the scroll. First words of Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Here's the opening. Here's the uncovering. Here's the revealing. That which had been concealed is now finally being exposed and revealed to all to understand. So what was hidden is now the book of Revelation not hidden. So any interpretation that says the book is hidden, just go, no, punch that book in the face. No, that book is wrong. This is explanation. read in the book of Revelation a lot of images and crazy visions about dragons and beasts and stars and all of that. Guess what? A lot of those are in the book of Daniel. And it would make sense for the book of Revelation to have it because it's the unveiling of what was there. So it's now explaining everything that was concealed back there. Whatever was going on in Daniel and what he's like, I don't understand. Explain it to me. The angel's like, ah, don't worry. Just Shut that up, seal it up, put the seal on that, save that till later. We'll explain that at a future time. Yeah. We do that to our children. Sure, we do. We they weren't ready to understand it yet. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mary Legitima? No? Okay. Uh, so, questions about the word revelation. That's a big deal. <laughs> that word is a really big deal. Uh, that we have an unveiling that's happened, an explanation has happened. All right, the rest of verse 1, which God gave him to do what? Show. So what does that tell you? Notice it's not tell, show. So what would we have on this book? Pictures, images, symbols, right? Very interesting to say, I'm going to have you 
see things. I'm going to show these things that must soon take place. Uh, and that, that happens at the end of verse 2. Even to all that he saw. You know, our, our timing of starting Ezekiel tonight works out really well. Because the prophets come along and they see these visions. And John is going to see these things. And so he's writing down these visions as he sees them. And this is already setting that up for you is that you are seeing these pictures. And, and God loves to do that. God loves when he talks about judgments and his coming. He loves to use vivid imagery. He doesn't just say, okay, I'm coming, get ready. Now he likes to tell stories. He, he likes to use vivid imagery to communicate what it's going to look like, where you have like Jesus talking about eternity and eternal punishment, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I don't think there were actually going to be worms there. I think it's trying to conjure an image. This is going to be really horrifying. Can you imagine a place that is outer darkness, weeping, grinding teeth where there's bugs like worms who are just living everywhere and there's constant fires. That doesn't sound pleasant. You know, that doesn't sound good. So, you know, you think about that kind of imagery. Well, the book of Revelation, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Daniel, book of Zechariah, they're, they're, they're driving pictures into our minds to help us see an idea, help us to visualize what, what God, is, God is doing. I mean, my big question for tonight's lesson is Ezekiel 1, which is that crazy vision of the throne room. Why is God showing us that? Why, why do that? What is, what's the big idea? And I want you to do that when you study this book. What would that image communicate? What is it trying to show his people? It's, it would be saying something to them when they saw that, saw that image. And uh, the other big one, end of verse one. The things that must soon take place. Oh, that's a problem. Oh, that's a problem. Like many, many, many interpretations go up in flames right here on this line. And notice to make sure that we get it, look at the end of verse 3. What else does it say about a time marker? Time is near. So what some will try to do is say things that must soon take place. Well, it doesn't mean soon. It means suddenly. All right. Let me just pretend I grant it to you. That doesn't help verse 3. The time is near. Okay. So if God is talking to human beings and saying the time is near, how soon is near? Or let me ask it the other way. How long does it have to be before it's not near? Okay, but give me a time marker. When, 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 is, when is it no longer near to you? Give me, give me years. How long is, what you know? Ten years? Yeah, I think that's fair. Any others? Would anybody say 2,000 years is near? Yeah. 
soon. You know, 2,000 years soon. I mean, that's real quick. That's, you know. How about 400 years? Would that be soon? Yeah, I would, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, I say you're, you're, I would agree. I think you're kind of the benefit of the doubt would be in your lifetime, right? Okay, maybe you can wrinkle soon into that, though. You know, even 40, 50 years seems like a really long time, and I wouldn't call that soon. But let's just grant it for its sake and go, okay, if it's outside of your lifetime, it's not soon. Now, how do you think most scholars get around? the soon of the book. Well, you know what Peter said. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So therefore, it can be thousands and thousands of years. Absolutely nullifying the very thing that God just said. So here's what I always ask people who say that. Does God know how to communicate to people? If he means soon, does he know what soon means? And we just saw in the book of Daniel, he knows how to say long time. What did he tell Daniel? Seal it up time times half a time. He told Daniel not soon. Now Revelation comes along and says soon. Any interpretation that has its central thrust as something beyond the lifetime of the individuals reading it is outside the markers of what this gives. Now that's interesting because I told you there's something wrong with the preterist point of view, didn't I? I shot a hole in that. So you have to come for a few weeks to figure out what I'm going to do. But it's important to note that you can't have an interpretation that simply says, ah, it's way out there a long time from now. That's not soon. And to make sure that we got that, I'm out of time. Go to the end of the book of Revelation real quick. Last two sentences of the book. Look at verse 20. What does Jesus say? Soon. <laughs> the book starts with soon and ends on soon. So can I redefine soon to be something other than soon? I got to stay with it. Now, I understand all the problems that come with that. I'm going to do my best for you. But we have to have some kind of answer that works that in somehow so that this can be true Things that must soon take place. The time is near. It has to have some kind of impact on the people reading it at that day and time. It has to. Otherwise, it's not near and it's not soon. So that is part of your big homework as we start going forward down the book together. Is how do we understand this book with those time markers, which clearly have things that talk about judgment. We've, we've we kind of had that agreement that, means that there's stuff in there with that. How are we going to work all that together? How's that going to make sense? That's what we got to figure out. All right, we'll pick up here next week.